0: This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. In this week's message, we discuss how to lead courageously in our generation. Why? Because God is willing and waiting to use us. We just need to be willing to be used. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now for the message,
1: Courage to Lead. I want to say good morning to everybody god bless you this morning god bless the works of your hand god bless your life god bless you with peace and joy and strength may god shower you with mercy and his grace his power to do everything that he's laid out before you to do may god bless you with hope this morning that even though you may be facing a difficult and hopeless situation God will sp- inject your soul with hope a desire for something better than where you are which spurs faith which causes us to go to faith may we not walk by what we see may we not look at our, at our circumstances and let it be the final decision in our conclusion about life But may we look and listen to what God has said to us and what God has said about us and let that be the final say in our lives. Whether it's in your body, whether it's something that's attacking your mind, whether it's a financial situation, no matter what the circumstances may be, let what the word of God says be the final conclusion to what you think and say about your life. We need to continue to pray in this day. Eight people killed, only an hour and a half, hour and a half, two hours from here in Atlanta, Georgia. Eight people senselessly killed. We need to continue to pray for the strife and separation and division and bitterness and resentment and anger that's in our in this nation, in this country, against not just the black race but all races we're all at risk the devil hates all of us and we need to understand that this is a work of the devil it is Satan that it has been sent forth and assigned to steal to kill and to destroy and therefore we need to recognize and realize that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We need to be cautious and careful and recognize that our enemy is not who we can see so that we don't build up and develop resentment and anger and hate towards people. Because the Bible clearly states that flesh and blood is not our enemy. We need to pray for the leaders of our nation because a lot of what's going on is coming and stemming from them and, 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 and words that they speak. People don't understand that the, light, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And the Bible says, they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. In other words, there's something in me, in all of us, that others can speak and stir and cause us to be aroused in certain ways some for good some for evil that's the power of words therefore not only do the leaders need to be careful what they say but we all need to be careful what we say because our words have power power to release angels power to release danger that de- demons power to, to start wars, powers to cause conflict. And so we need to be careful and cautious what we say. I think I, I talked about that a little last week, that, that words matter. Words matter. Yes, they do matter. I know we live in a country where we say that we have free speech and we are protected by the First Amendment, that we can say whatever we want. But no, we cannot, because what we say influences, encourages, and affects other people that's why Jesus said himself he said be careful or cautious on what or how you hear because he understood the power of words last week we talked about how your influence matters I know that everybody think this don't don't believe that they are a leader but yes you are you've been selected you've been chosen You've been called by God to lead. You may be just a leader of your family. You may be a leader on your job and not even know that you are influencing the people where you work. You can influence people in the the church. You can influence people in your neighborhood. You can influence and affect people everywhere you go, and God has called us to do so. And I know you say, no, he didn't call me to do that. Yes, he did. Let me explain to you how I know he called you. Because Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 says this You are the light of the world. What does light do? Light has an effect, an influence upon the area where it is released. It has an effect and an influence upon the area where it it is released. It has an effect upon the people where it is released. So if you are operating in the capacity that God has called you, and that is to be light, in your home, in your neighborhood, on your job, in your church, he's called you to be light. In Walmart, wherever you shop, wherever you go, he has called you to be light. And light has influence. Light influences people. Yes, it does. And let me tell you how I know that it influences people. Because in John chapter 3, verse 19 and 20, it says this. He said, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be exposed so it has influence it is either influencing people for good or it's influencing people for bad and if you read verse 21 it says but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God or they they came from God okay so basically what he's saying is men that love hate light some men hate light because what their deeds are evil and it says they, don't, they won't come to the light. So that light is influencing them to move away from the light because their deeds are evil. But others who love the truth, they will come to the light because they want people to see that their works came from God. So light has influence. It's either going to come, cause people to, as, as, as we say, it's going to draw you or it's going to drive you. So you have an effect on people everywhere you go. You're either drawing them by the light or you're driving them because you are light. You're going to draw them by the light or you're going to drive them because you are light. And God has called us to this. God has uh, called us to influence people, to influence the lives of others. He's called us to do this. Remember last week I gave you this definition that leaders are... People who set out on a journey and take others with them. You are not to go through this life and be concerned. And you, you're, you're supposed to be concerned about your own soul salvation. But you're not only so, supposed to be just about your, your salvation and your life. Your, your responsibility is to take others with you on the journey that you are on. And you are on a journey You're going, leaders are going somewhere. They're not standing still. They're not custodians. They're not set in place to manage and maintain a place. They're on the move. They're going somewhere. They're they're taking people places. People are following them. Your influence matters. And today I want to talk about courage to lead. Courage to lead. Let me say something to you. I've learned this through the school of hard knocks that it takes courage to lead. It takes courage to lead. It takes courage to stand out in front and for people to follow you because guess what? You can take them to the wrong place. You can lead them the wrong way. So you gotta have courage in order to know that you are going in the right direction. Let me say this. Not every, I mean really and truly, it takes courage to lead because sometimes, When you are leading, you're going to go in a way that's not going to be popular. That everybody is not going to agree with. That not everybody is going to like. And sometimes you have to step out away from the crowd. You have to step out away from everybody else. And this is what God has called us to do. He's called us to be different. He said when you follow us, and think about this now, God had me to write this down. I want to read it to you. I want to read it verbatim what he said. Leading, leading does not always mean you, have a lo- you will have a large following. And a large following does not mean you're a great leader. Now that makes us, that, that makes us take a different view and a look at our, who we choose and select and call leaders. Because God said leading does not always mean you will have a large following. And a large following does not mean you're a great leader. Think about Jesus himself. Jesus never really had a large following. Jesus had people, when I say following, I don't mean people that just follow to see, follow to look. I mean when you follow in somebody else's footsteps, when you pattern your lives after them. Not many people pattern their lives. They followed because they wanted what Jesus had to offer. They followed because they, they, they wanted to have something to go back and tell. They followed because there was something they they was curious, but there was twelve that followed whose lives were changed, and one of them for the for the for the for the worse it it drove him to the for the eleven it drew them and so you 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 we have a we have a it don't it, do, it does not mean that I'm I'm a great leader if I have a large following. It does not mean that I'm a bad leader if I don't have a large following. And let me say this, sometimes you can have a large following and not even know you have it. You don't know the effect that you have on people. I can remember when I worked at Flowers Bakery and and um when I uh acted, uh acted ignorant and, and did something crazy on the job and lost my job, I didn't realize how many people my life affected. I never ever dreamed that the plant manager would actually just about cry when he had to let me go. And because these are the words he said, he said, you just don't know the effect that you had on me and others here in this place. And let me say this to you, you just don't know the influence and the effect that you have on other people. And let me say this to you, just because you may sit in the pews does not mean that you do do not have an effect on the people that lead you. You do. You really do. You really do. You can encourage, you can motivate the things you, you you can hold them up. You hold them up you help them, you strengthen them. You even the, give them the courage to continue on and to continue to lead. And I wanna say again, your influence matters. But I wanna say this again too. It takes courage, it takes courage to lead. So let me say this to you. And I'm not saying this because I, I'm I'm, the proposed leader. I, I, I'm saying this because I want you to look at other people wherever you go and I want you to give them your utmost respect. I want you to give your supervisors your utmost respect, your teachers. I want you to give your principals, your 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 your, your counselors, anybody that's sitting in a seat, that's, that's sitting in a position of leadership, I want you to give them your utmost respect because guess what? It takes courage to do what what they do on a daily, day, daily basis. It takes courage to do it. And let me say this to you, not everybody wants to do it. Not everybody wants to do it. So let's get into the day's, today's message. First Kings, chapter, First Kings chapter 17, verse 1, it says, Elijah the Tishbite from, from Tishbe in Gilded, Gilead, Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now this is talking about Elijah. And remember the word that I said again, leaders are people who set out on a journey and take others with them. And the day I want to introduce you to or, or talk about two leaders who moved in two, in two very different directions. Ahab, he took a journey of rebellion against God and thousands of people went with him. I want you to remember my statement again. Leading does not always mean you will have a large following and a large following does not mean you're a great leader. Okay? So he, he went in the, in the wrong direction and rebelled against God and thousands of people went with him. But Elijah chose a different path, a journey of obedience to God, and he found himself out on a limb, he found himself out on a limb, out of line with culture. It felt like an uphill struggle. He found it lonely at times. If you remember, he he, he was in the mountain after, after Jezebel pursued his life. He was, he was in the mountain and he said, take my life. He said, take my life. I'm, I'm the only one left. So he was feeling lonely at times. At times he felt exhausted from constantly swimming against the tide. And if you're a Christian today, you're probably experiencing this in some way, shape, or form. Ahab, Ahab and Elijah were both leaders of great influence, but they chose different paths. They led people in different directions, and their lives had two different outcomes, two very different outcomes. So, let's start it out, and let's look at Ahab. Let's look at Ahab. And in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29, it says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri began to reign over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now, think about that. That's a long time. That's almost, that seems like an entire generation that this man was on the throne. Other kings reigned for a shorter period of time. Other kings had, had, had been d- d- deposed. But Ahab, he was around for a long time. And he, he brought political stability and it came with economic prosperity. But look at what God says about him. Ahab in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse number 30. It says, now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. Listen to this. More than all who were before him. In other words, he was worse than others that were before him. And then in 1 in, in Kings chapter 16, verse 25, it says this about his, his father, Omri. Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. Now look at the progression of evil. Look at the progression of evil. It says, now Omri did more evil than anyone before him, but when his son Ahab came to the throne, he went even further. Evil went from bad to worse under the leadership of Ahab. And he was described by some as the vilest king ever to sit on the throne of Israel. Now, I want you to think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Our Lord Jesus spoke about two roads, a narrow road that leads to life and a broad road that leads to destruction. And there are many people on it. Ahab was on which road? He was on the broad road. And the vast majority of those who would ca- have called themselves God's people were there with him. Note that in Matthew chapter 7, God is not talking so much to the world as he is to his own people. So when he, tell to, when he talks about two roles, he's actually talking to his people. He said, now there's, there's, a, there's a broad path. And he said, many is going to get on that path. And he said, there's a narrow path that leads to life. And he says, Few there will be that will find it. So he's basically telling us there's two roads, there's two paths that we can actually take. So what does it look like to progress further and further down the broad road? Okay, let's look at Ahab's journey. The first point I want to make about Ahab's life is this. He broke the commandment of God. Now, if you want to know how to get on this, how, if you're on this bad road, he broke the commandment of God. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 31, it says, He took for his, his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshiped him. Okay? In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3, it says, when, you know, when God's people entered the promised land, he gave them a clear command that they were not to marry under any circumstances people who worshiped idols. That was a command he gave them, okay? Now, the, the issue is not interracial marriage, so don't try to take that interpret it, and say that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about interracial marriage because God smiles on a marriage of a man and a woman of a different race when they marry in the Lord. But God speaks clearly to his own people about entering marriage with someone who does not submit to him. It it says it this way as well. Don't be unequally yoked. Okay. So Ahab, he didn't pay any attention to that. He's like most people now. What did he care about old books written hundreds of years before his time? That's what most folks say about the Bible. The Bible is out of date. Out of date. It doesn't relate to our, our now. It doesn't relate to our time. It was written thousands and hundreds of years ago. He, he, he would have said he was dealing with political realities. Think about it. Assyria was growing in power, and Aham reckoned that, he, that the ten tribes of Israel needed a strong ally to bolster, bolster their defense. And, and it seems like the Sidonians seemed to be the answer. And what, what a better way to, 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 to bond this alliance than for, them to, than for him to marry the crown prince, the daughter of Ethbel, whose name was Jezebel. So that is what Ahab did. Now, and Ahab, think about this, Ahab came to the throne about 60 years after the death of Solomon. He was the seventh king in line after that division in which which 10 of the 12 tribes declared independence from the line of David's descendants a lot of changes had taken place in just over a a half a century. A lot of changes took place in just over about 50 years. And 1 Kings 16, 31 it says this, for for Ahab, it seems like a light thing to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Okay? So it 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 didn't seem like a big deal to him to do or the walk-in sins of, a, of, of the previous king. It didn't seem like, it didn't seem to matter to him. Okay, so, you know, sins that seemed shocking to one generation had come to seem light and trivial to the next. And we see that in, our, in, in the United States. I've seen it in my lifetime. I can remember when I was growing up and when I was in school that certain things, Pe- if the people didn't let you know that they did or people didn't let you know that they were. And guess what? Nowadays, everything has changed. Everything has, has changed. When I, when I was in school, people that were, people that were gay, they were, they were very, very secretive about it. Now, they're bold about it and even bold enough to marry publicly. So a lot of things have changed. Morality does not always pass from generation to generation. But when sin does, it often grows worse. I'm sure the older people who could remember the days of Solomon must have looked back and wondered what in the world happened in our nation. And let me ask you this question. Have you ever wondered about our nation? what in the world is going on. Certain things people used to try to conceal and cover but now it's no longer that way. Okay the second thing Ahab did was he, uh, he, he undermined the worship of God. In 1 Kings chapter 16 verse 32 he says he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal which he built in Samaria. Now Solomon built a temple for the Lord, and just 60 years after his death, Ahab builds a house of Baal inside, an altar for Baal. No one who takes the Bible seriously can say that all religions are different ways of saying the same thing, or that all religions are ways of coming to the same God by a different route. Anybody who believes that don 't know the Bible. There's one God, and Baal is not God. Think about the first commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse three. It says, it says, "You shall have no other gods before me. What does that mean? There's only one God, but because our nature is to rebel against Him, we invent other gods who fit comfortably with our pleasure. What is the second commandment? Verse 4 in Exodus chapter 20. You shall not make for yourselves an idol. You know, it's interesting how sin progresses in a culture. When the 10 tribes in the north separated from the two tribes in the south, Jeroboam wanted to stop his people from going to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. So he set up his own places of worship in Dan and Bethel. Jeroboam made a golden calf for each location and then he said, these are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. That's in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28. Basically he's saying we're worshiping the same God, but we do it in our own place and we do it in our own way. Have you heard that before? Have you heard that before? Ahab goes a step forth further. He didn't even pretend to worship God. He builds a house for Baal. We're going to worship in a contemporary new way. Not going to do it according to the Bible. Not only does he break the second commandment, he breaks the first as well. And Ahab felt he had freedom to choose his own God as well as his own lifestyle. And that's where many people are today. They feel like they can choose their own God and choose their own lifestyle and undermine the worship of God. The third thing Ahab did, he provoked the anger of God. It says in 1 Kings 16, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. You know, you got to consider the word provoke. The word provoke is important in this situation. Anger is not God's natural state. The pagans believed in gods who were angry by nature. The Bible tells us that God is what? He's love. That's who he is. That's his nature. He don't have to be provoked to love. He is love. The Bible never says that God is anger, but God hates evil, and when men pursue evil, he is provoked to anger. But even then, the Bible tells us that God is Slow to anger. And in spite of this, Ahab set out on a a sustained pursuit of evil. And he did more to provoke the Lord to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. The fourth thing Ahab did. He ignored God's warning. The warning of God. He ignored it. In 1 Kings 16, 34, in his days, Hio of Bethel built Jericho. Now, you may ask, what is the significance of this? Okay, back in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 6, back in that book, we read about the mighty acts of God in which he caused the walls of Jericho to fall down. After that great victory, Joshua gave an instruction from God that no one was to rebuild the city. Joshua 16, Joshua chapter 6, verse 26 reads this way. It said, curse before the Lord. Be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. Listen at, listen at the warning. Listen at this warning. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. And at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up his gates. Now, There ain't nothing that could be clearer than that. There is the commandment of God not to rebuild this city and any man who rebuilds this city will be cursed before the Lord. God says on no account is anyone to rebuild a city. But what does a man like Ahab Ahab care about that? What does he care about these old documents written hundreds of years ago about a city whose walls fell down at the blowing of trumpets. Who believes, who believes that anymore? Who believes that can happen anymore? Ahab had turned away from giving weight to the word of God and so have so many people in this day. Ahab saw it this way, he saw that there was money to be made in a place like Jericho. So what did Ahab do? He commissioned this man, Hile, to rebuild the city so, this Hyle, he turns up with a construction crew. He pours the foundation. And guess what? Hyle's first son dies. Just like God promised. And you would think that would have made him stop. But he goes on. They build the walls and set up the gates. Then guess what happens? His second son dies. Wow. What a tragedy. And you can read later that God redeemed the city from the curse it was under. And the story tells us here how far God's people had come from fearing the Lord and taking his word seriously. Man, I'm going to tell you, this, this story is looking at our day. How far people have come from fearing the Lord and taking his words seriously. In the time of Ahab, the people saw the books of Moses just as, as just words. God taught. They felt that God was passive. They could do what they wanted and nothing would happen. And I see the same thing in our day. People think God is only in people's minds, not a living reality. This is a story of the progress of, of, the, of the progress of evil in a person's life and in a society. It begins with what? Disobeying the commands of God. It continues by undermining the worship of God. If this God does not suit us, we will reshape God in our own image. It intensifies in provoking the anger of God, and it ends up with men and women ignoring the warnings of God. You know, it made me think about this when they were trying to shape God in their own image. I want you to think back in the the beginning, in the book of Genesis, it said. God said these words, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness. And, and, and then God proceeded to make man in his image. But guess what has happened? And, and think about this. I want you to think about this, that, that we, were, we, we are considered to be the children of God. Adam was considered to be the God of the earth and our biggest temptation is to be god over our lives so when we try to be god over our lives what do we try to do we try to create god in our image how we want him to be how we see him to be and then i want to read to you revelation chapter four you know it says it says it says thou art worthy o lord to receive riches and honor and glory and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure They were created. Think about this. We have not only sought to create God in our own image, we have also sought to create Him for our pleasure. Mm. We're trying to make God for our own pleasure. We're trying to create God and make God do things for our own pleasure. You know, it's it's clear to me that our our nation is on the same path. We define our own morality. We choose our own gods. But God says, I am who I am. But instead of bowing before him and believing God is who he says he is, we try to redefine God. And we act as if God is who we say he is. What does God do when a culture is charging down the broad road? This is what he does. He raises up men and women who walk on the narrow path. And that's what God did in Elijah. Now, let's look at Elijah's journey. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe, in Gilded, Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord... The God of Israel is, behold, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And think about this. Elijah just appears on the scene. We're not told anything about his father, his mother or his background. We know little about Tishbe, the place he's from, but Elijah is God's man. God's bring, God brings out His brightest light in the darkest places in the hardest places, at the darkest time. If if we find ourselves in hard places at a dark time, do not be surprised at this. This is the way God works. One, One person wrote this, they said, to see Elijah appear like this, unexpected, unheralded, Reminds us that we need not despair when we see great movements of evil achieving spectacular success on this earth. Why? Because we can be sure that God in, an, in unexpected places has already secretly prepared his counter movement. Therefore, the situation is never hopeless where God is concerned. At the height of the triumph of evil, God is there ready with his man and his movement and his plans to ensure that his own cause will never fail. Now, try to imagine the scene. Now, we're, we're not told that Elijah spoke to the king in his palace, but, you know, that seems like that would be the natural place where he would talk to him. How did he pull it off? That must have been of all kinds of security. And I don't suppose the king was just sitting there waiting waiting to welcome visitors. Now, can you imagine Elijah walking up one day and saying, today, waking up one day and saying, today is the day I'm going to tell the king the truth. I don't believe it happened that way. But somehow Elijah arrives in Samaria, gets into the presence of the king and says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, I'm telling you, it takes what? Courage to be that kind of leader. Because in that day, the king can just kill you and nothing can be done about it because what? He was the king. One man who's going in a different direction in a darkening culture, where did he find that kind of courage? It's all in verse. Number one of of 1 Kings 17. It says what? He stood. Number one, he stood in the presence of God. He stood in the presence of God. Read it again. As the Lord God lives, as as the Lord as the Lord, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. It didn't say he stood past tense or will stand present tense. It says he stood constantly right now. What does it mean to stand before the Lord? I want you to just imagine in your mind the palace as Elijah walks up to Ahab and around the room are are, are servants. And they're waiting to do whatever the king commands. And the driver of Ahab's chariot stands before him ready to move at his word. But, you know, the waiter stands before Ahab ready to serve him food or drink at the movement of his finger. All around the room, the king's servants stand before him, ready at every, any moment to respond to his direction. And Elijah looks around the room at the men and women who stand before Ahab, and he says, Listen, to what he says. He says, I stand before the Lord. I stand before the Lord means to come to the place where you are ready, available, and responsive to whatever he commands you to do in the darkness. We need men and women who are standing before the Lord. And the question is, is that you? Is that me? And it also means that he was not alone. He was not alone. It also means that what what Jesus said in in, in the Gospels, he said, don't premeditate what you shall say or what you shall speak when when you deliver it up. For it is not you that speak, but the spirit of your father that speaks in you. He, 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 was not, he was not afraid. He was not afraid. Why? Why did he have courage? Because he knew that he stood in the presence of God, that God was with him. And we should know the same. We should know the same. Okay? Now, the next thing is he believed the word of God. He believed the word of God. What can Elijah do? Here's one man surrounded by a tide of evil, more flagrant than in any previous generation. What can he do? He could believe the word of God. Elijah didn't have the Bible as we have it today. What he would have had was probably the first five books of Moses and the history of Joshua, Judges and the books of Samuel. Which is, which is a total of about 300 pages of our Bible today. But Elijah was a man of the word. And as he searched the scriptures, he would have found this promise. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 16 and 17, it says this. Take care, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord has given you. Now this is what God, this is one of God's promises and this is the promise that Elijah was standing on. And also, you know, Elijah believed the word and I'm, 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 su- I'm sure Elijah could remember when he was with Elijah. Elijah. And in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16, you know, when Elijah, Elijah's servant woke up one morning and walked and looked over the gates of the city and saw those all those Syrians surrounding the city, he said, alas, my master, how shall we do? And Elijah prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. That there's more with us than be with them. And when Elijah prayed that, the Bible says, the servant's eyes became open and he saw in the spirit realm that there were in the mountains surrounding the Syrians were chariots of fire. We have to come to the place where we believe the word of God. And the Bible said, is God before you? Who can successfully compete against you as your enemy? The Bible says, who Ooh. Who can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principality, nor powers nor thing present, nor things to come. Nor angel, nor demon. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the love of God is God. So nothing can separate you from God. And we need to believe the word of God like Elijah did. And this was the word of God. This was the part of scripture that Elijah had access to. If the people turned aside and served other gods and worshipped them, God said there would be no rain. Now, on Ahab it actually happened. Not just a few altars to Baal here and there. But a house of Baal constructed and dedicated by the king himself. God's own people were worshiping idols. So Elijah began to pray. Oh God, what you warned about is everywhere. Nobody cares about your word. Think about your word. They think your word is only words. They think it's only Psychology. Do what you said. We know this from the New Testament where we read that. And then the third thing Elijah did was this. This is how he gained his courage. This is how you can lead with courage. In James chapter 5 verse 17 it says Elijah prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Elijah not only said it wouldn't rain, he prayed it wouldn't rain. If there's no rain for three years, guess what? Cattle die, people die. Three years of famine would ruin the economy. He prayed fervently that God would wreck the economy of his own beloved nation. You might ask, what kind of prayer is that? Even though Elijah himself with personally sharing the suffering, he prayed that it would happen. Why? There's only one answer to that. Here's a man who cares more about God's glory than his own comfort. He cares more about people's eternal destiny than, it, than their physical well being. And guess what? We have lost this. We design churches based upon what people want, we preach what people want to hear. Or search out what they want. And it's sad what we have grown to and come to. There was no doubt about the greatest need of the people in Elijah's mind. God, people need to know you live. To know that you are alive. Whatever it takes in this world for them to know that you are God, do it. So they don't perish without you in the next. Think about that. It is better to endure any suffering in this world and turn to God than to enjoy any comfort in this world and to live without him in the next life. The fourth thing Elijah did. He spoke in the name of God. As the Lord God of Israel lives. Before whom I stand. There shall be neither dew. Nor rain these years. Except by my word. Standing before the Lord. Gave Elijah courage to stand before the king. His engagement with the word. And his submission to God's will. Would enable Elijah. To speak truth to the king. The Lord. The God of Israel lives. He lives. Ahab never thought about that. He had thought about, he had thought of, a, of religion as a branch of sociology to be manipulated for the benefit of his political aspirations. An, expressive, an expression of human spirituality a force in the community that could be used for good social purposes he had never seriously considered that there was a god who really is that he really exists and i think that's where most people are today they believe that because they can't see god god is dead he does not really really exist in first kings 18:1 tells us that god that god sent elijah back to ahab in the third year and then the rain returned you got to understand how serious it is when he when you speak in the name of the lord and you speak truth to power john the baptist spoke truth and guess what his head was cut off david stood forth and when he came against Goliath. This is what he said: "You come against me with a spear and a sword and a staff, but I come against you in the name of the Lord." And he did what? Defeated a nation. He defeated the giant and saved a nation. When Elijah returned, he said, "He said, James chapter five, it tells us that there was no rain three and a half years, and if you put these two together." First king 18, 1 Kings 18.1 said three years, the third year, so it had already been six months that they hadn't had any rain before Elijah even went before the king. Suddenly, perhaps for the first time, the thought might have entered Ahab's mind. What if there really is a God? What if the Lord, the God of Israel, lives? But we have a better word than Elijah. Reading about Elijah standing before the Lord, interceding for the people of God, and speaking the word of God makes me think about Jesus. Listen to the word the Lord says. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Jesus goes on to invite us to join the company of Elijah. For the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So enter by the narrow gate. That's Matthew chapter 7 verse 13, verse 13 through 14. And I say this to you. To all who are ready to walk the narrow way of faith. And obedience to God. There's good news. Jesus stands before the Father for us. He is the word of God to us. He opens the seal to enact the will of God for us. He speaks a better word than Elijah. Elijah spoke a word of judgment so the people would seek mercy. But listen to this. Jesus speaks a word of mercy to people who deserve judgment. That's the gospel. And we should thank God that we're not called to go out somewhere, somehow pray for judgment on the world. But in Christ's name, we are to call people to repentance and we are to offer grace to people in this world. So I want to end with this question. Where are you today? We live and work with thousands who are on the broad road with they have. Choosing their own morality. Shaping their own God. Provoking the Lord to anger and ignoring his warnings. I invite you today to step out from the crowd and take your stand with Elijah. Offer yourself to God today, place yourself under his authority. Tell him you're ready to do whatever he asks of you. Ask him to make you a person who really believes his word. And to help you seek his will. Even when it's going to be costly for you. Ask him to give you courage. To speak in his name. And to be light in this dark world. Where we have been placed. Ask him to help you to do this. God is waiting. He's ready. He's willing to do it. I want to. Pr- I pray, I pray now in the name of the Lord Jesus that. Like the disciples prayed when they had been threatened by the rulers of that day, they gathered in a place by themselves and they they, they 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 prayed these words: "God grant unto us boldness that we may speak Your word. Grant unto us boldness that we may speak Your word, truth to power. Lord, I pray that You give us the boldness that men are now expressing." For evil. They're bold to say who they are. They're bold to say what they will do. And Lord, I'm asking you to grant to your people this same boldness, this same boldness for us to speak truth in the midst of darkness. And when given the opportunity to speak truth to power, to speak truth even when it may be costly and it may cause suffering for us. Give us that courage, that confidence, and that boldness. In this day, in this dark hour, let us be the people that you cause to rise up, to bring about change, and let us always be aware that we have a greater influence than we think. We bless you. We praise you. We worship you, we honor you, and we thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Bless
2: the Lord. Oh, I know you can feel him here. He's alive in this place tonight. I feel Jesus. Can't you feel him? Sing it, come on. I feel Jesus. I feel Jesus. Yes, sir. you can feel the Lord. Jesus, I feel Jesus in in this place. just a bunch of emotionalism you can be emotional without being spiritual but you can't really be spiritual without involving your emotions God is spirit they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth truth means purity of expression purity of heart of motivation he said his spirit bears witness his spirit testifies The Holy Ghost will actually agree with you that you are a child of God, a son of God. And with that verification is the anointing that breaks the yokes of bondage and looses every shackle and chain that binds. We want to reach out to you now and minister deliverance to you. I want you to know that you don't have to just sit and listen to us. You can actually participate in it. You're here with us. You're here with us in spirit. And in that spirit, there is deliverance, there is healing, there's salvation, that is edification of soul and mind and spirit. God is moving. He's moving all over this whole worship service. He's moving through it for your deliverance. Broken hearts, broken homes, torn, shattered dreams, scarred lives, addictions of every type, alcoholism, drugs, AIDS, death. The Lord rebuke it. loose the people and let them go. In Jesus' name, feel it, experience it, appropriate the power of God in your life to set you free right now. I decree it in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah! I feel Jesus. He's in. He's in this place. Come on, church, let's sing it again. I feel Jesus, everybody. A God, you can feel. He also feels you, but we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. I was at all points treated just like you and I, yet without sin.
0: for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to subscribe and share with somebody you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries Church.